Today, I will try, as I always do, to, to carry out the mandate of Ephesians 4.15, which commands us to speak the truth in love. And my intention is to speak both courageously and compassionately. This coming January 22nd will mark the 50th anniversary of the Supreme Court's tragic Roe versus Wade decision, legalizing abortion on demand at any time during the nine months of pregnancy. Since that day, 63 million American infants have been denied their inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as promised in the Declaration of Independence. Do you realize that every single day in this country, we experience an attack on human life which exceeds the death toll of 9-11 by several hundred lives? In the early 80s, one in three pregnant women chose abortion. Today, still one in five pregnant women opt for abortion. In one survey, one out of six ladies who have had abortions identified themselves as born-again Christians. Sometimes people want to avoid discussing this topic, claiming that it is a controversial political issue. Abortion is not a political issue. It, it is a moral issue. And morality deals with right versus wrong. On this matter, God has already weighed in, and he is clearly on the side of the unborn. God alone is the giver of life. And when we take life, we usurp his sovereign authority. In today's focus, I want to challenge you to choose life. We want to value the precious gift of, of physical life. And the, the first truth that we see from Scripture is that life is a gift from God. Sin entered the world and introduced shame, pain, hard labor, and death. And with the entrance of sin came the entrance of abortion. It offers the elimination of a human life due to the parent's inconvenience or irresponsibility or, or embarrassment. God's will is for each new life to have its own opportunity to blossom and, and bear fruit. So abortion is a departure from God's plan. Mother Teresa declared, it is a poverty to decide that a child must die so that you may live as you wish. The sixth commandment in the, the Ten Commandments warns, you shall not murder, Exodus 20, verse 13. And this timeless truth goes beyond simply warning not to murder others. It encompasses a teaching that values the sanctity of life. Mankind is created in God's image with eternal souls and to deny another's life by committing murder is an insult to the heavenly creator of that life. The, the fragile, irreplaceable nature of human life is sacred. Because unlike any other, humans were created in the image of God. We read in Genesis 1.27, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. From the, the moment of their conception to the last breath, every human being possesses a, a God-likeness that distinguishes us from all of God's other creatures. Human beings did not evolve out of nothingness. Each human life has purpose, potential, and meaning. 
And God's word presents life as a, a gift from the Father that begins at conception and spans into eternity. David, the, the ancient songwriter, had this to say about God's involvement in our human lives, even during pregnancy. This is the, the message paraphrase of, of Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. It says, Oh yes, you shaped me inside first and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you are breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life, all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Technology is attempting to replace the abortion industry's unsavory images of steel instruments, suction machines, inserted scissors, and, and burning saline. And the legalization of the, the morning after pill attempts to sanitize sin for some, but the reality of a baby dying will not go away. Terminating a pregnancy, whether via an abortion or a, a federally legalized pill, still has the result of undermining God's authority as the author and giver of life. But when the Ten Commandments were given 3,500 years ago, the Israelites had pagan neighbors who practiced child sacrifice rituals to appease their false pagan deities. And God denounced the destruction of human children then, and he denounces our national sin of abortion now. It says in Leviticus 18.21, Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Psalm 106, verses 37 and 38 read, They sacrificed their sons and daughters to false gods. They shed innocent blood, the, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was desecrated by their blood. Another passage which shows us God's perspective on, on this issue is found in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There's a, a listing of things that God hates. And, and the list includes haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. That, that last phrase, hands that shed innocent blood. None is more innocent than an unborn child. None is more defenseless. So life is a gift from God. Choose life. The, the second truth that I want you to understand is that life is an opportunity to be protected. It still has value and worth even when there are physical limitations imposed on it. As Christians, we categorically reject the reasoning of those who argue that Parents should be allowed to kill their defective babies who possess severe disabilities. God in his word has clearly spoken, weighing in on the sanctity of human life, all life. The disabled, the aging, the unborn. 
If there were any question remaining regarding the, the high premium God places on the sanctity of, of unborn human babies, Exodus 21 verses 22 and 23 should serve to clear up and clarify any lingering uncertainty. Are, are you familiar with that passage? This is how it reads. If people are, are fighting and, and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. Killing an unborn baby, even by accident, was a capital offense. Now, even our courts hold liable for damages that the driver who hits a pregnant woman and causes the death of her unborn child. The, the irony of that double standard is, had she elected to enter an abortion clinic and take the life of her unborn child, that would have been legally within her bounds. Have you ever stopped to think about all that we have lost out on over the past 50 years due to legalized abortion? Have you ever paused to think of the scientific advances that may have been thwarted or delayed due to the legality of abortion? It's entirely possible that the child who would have grown up to cure cancer was taken before birth, before ever having a chance at life. And our creative genius has been depleted. Let me add that valuing life goes also for the lives of abortion doctors as well as the unborn. The murder of abortionists and the bombing of abortion clinics is the absolute worst thing that could happen to the cause for the unborn. We are, above all else, pro-life. And that includes the lives of the perpetrators who perpetuate this grimy, lucrative industry. We must never resort to violence as a solution to the senseless injustice of abortion. We must point people to Jesus that he alone can change hearts, attitudes, decisions, and lives. Choose life. And there's a, a third truth that I want you to, to understand, and, and that is that life is a value to be chosen. Uh, abortion devalues life. It, it diminishes us all. The, the pro-abortion effort is determined that the value of life not be chosen. I want you to listen to this unmistakable message of, of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. It says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. You've probably seen the yard signs that say simply, choose life. And this is the verse from which they originate, from which the title of today's message comes. Life is a value to be chosen. Choose life. And that includes the lives of those in the womb and the lives of those who are disabled and the lives of those who are terminally ill. It extends to all of us and it includes every person because we all are created 
in the image of God. Maybe you're thinking that this message today doesn't really apply to you. Would you consider this? Maybe you would never have an abortion, but you would advise someone else to do so. Maybe you would never have an abortion, but you might help pay for another's abortion. Maybe you would never dream of committing murder, but you don't mind murdering someone's reputation with misrepresentations or or gossip. Maybe you would never intentionally take a life, but through criticism and contempt, you would take the life out of someone. Maybe you would never throw a, a body in the harbor, but you would harbor unresolved conflict and, and hateful bitterness in your own heart. First John chapter 3, verse 15 states, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You see, I, I don't think there is a person within the sound of my voice today who hasn't committed murder mentally according to that definition. In John 10.10, Jesus said of Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came that we could all experience life to the full, more abundantly, liberated, forgiven, lasting fulfillment, not the the temporary jolt that this limited life offers. So, So don't miss this truth. God in his amazing grace can forgive us of our sins, even the big mistakes. Satan is telling you right now, God can never forgive you, not after what you've done. You could never be given another chance. And that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Can God forgive us of our murderous thoughts and and choices and actions? Well, God forgave Moses of murder and used him to liberate the Israelites from Egypt and used him to write the first five books of the Bible. God forgave David of the murder of Bathsheba's husband and used David to write the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. God forgave Paul, the apostle, who formerly murdered Christians, and and God used him to write more than half of the New Testament. So can God forgive us of our sins? Absolutely. Only the innocent blood of Christ can cleanse away the blood guilt of abortion. If God only used perfect people, nothing would ever be accomplished. There was and is only one perfect individual, and that is Jesus Christ. But God, in his grace, takes us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us just as he found us. And so when we begin a relationship with him, we begin to grow and change and be transformed through his Holy Spirit. We undergo a metamorphosis akin to a common caterpillar becoming a beautiful butterfly. One of the ladies at a previous church told me, for years Satan silenced me in shame over my past sin of abortion. I was afraid to let anyone else know this secret for fear that people wouldn't love me or accept me if they knew the real me. But she said just the opposite was true. It turned out that when I confided in others, I found grace 
and forgiveness. I reassured her, your past abortion mistake doesn't make us love you less. It makes us love you more. Your courage in taking responsibility and your desire now to, to do what's right inspire us and, and make us very proud of you. Do I look at these ladies with less respect? No, not at all. I look upon them with greater respect than a, a tender compassion because of the hurt they have had to carry. I want them to sense our genuine love for them. And isn't that how God is? Isn't it amazing how he treats us when we seek his grace and when we yield to his way? He deals with us not as we deserve, but he gives grace to the humble, James 4.10. In the remaining time, I want to give you three quick take-homes that will, will help us make the right response to valuing life. And response number one is information and understanding. Advances in, in fetology have answered the question, when does life begin? It is at the moment of conception that the process of life is set in motion, and all that is added is nutrition and time before a child is born. Several years ago, the cover article of Newsweek magazine was titled, Should a Fetus Have Rights? How Science is Changing the Debate. And the article contained actual photos of developing unborn children in the womb in various stages of, of pre-birth. It showed a seven-week fetus the size of a grape with fingers and toes starting to form. It described the, the scientific advances that have gathered support for the personhood of the unborn. The, the article documented how surgeries in the womb are being conducted on the unborn who have been diagnosed with spina bifida, stating, quote, modern medicine has already granted unborn babies a unique form of personhood as treatable patients, end quote. The article went on to cite the Lacey Peterson case as an example in which Scott Peterson is serving two murder charges, one for his wife Lacey and, and one for their unborn son. 28 states now criminalize harm to an unborn child. That is, unless it's a matter of choice to harm him or her in an abortion clinic. The contradiction is incomprehensible. Decades ago, I, I made the observation, I've noticed that the only people in favor of abortion are those who have already been born. Employing the aid of an ultrasound, sound waves produce an image that allows us to glimpse into the window of the womb, and we can see that it is a child, not a choice. It's disingenuous to call any procedure safe when 50% of those involved from it die. Years ago, my wife, Johnny, had a stillbirth when she was six months pregnant, and we lost our first child, a baby boy. Two months prior to that, we had had the opportunity to watch our unborn son via the ultrasound monitor while he was still alive and healthy. His little heart was pulsating rhythmically. You could see the individual bones of his spinal column. And at age four months in the womb, he was sucking his thumb. And we both expressed that day that 
before a woman should be permitted to destroy the life within, she should first be required to have an ultrasound and personally see her child. And since then, that very scenario is happening more and more. Ultrasound images have helped to silence the abortion industry's attempt to conceal and, and dismiss and they've helped serve to dismiss the notion that the developing child within is merely a, a, a massive tissue or just a, a blob of cells, as was broadcast for years by the abortion industry. I've read that 85% of all women who undergo an ultrasound opt to have their babies rather than abort. Bernard Nathanson was one of the, the founders of, of NARAL, and in the 1940s, he was a medical student. And when he got his girlfriend pregnant, he persuaded her to have an abortion. He, he went on to become the most prolific abortionist in our country's history. He personally presided over 65,000 abortions. He later admitted that his testimony during the Roe versus Wade proceedings had included it included his false assertions that 10,000 die annually due to illegal abortions. After the decision was passed, he told that the true figure was more like 500 women. And as regrettable as that figure is, 500 is a far cry from over a million babies dying annually from legalized abortion. But there's a positive end to the story of our nation's foremost abortionist, Bernard Nathanson. With the development of ultrasound equipment, he reconsidered the humanity of the child. He began to question the morality of his actions. And in the 1980s, Nathanson made up his mind that abortion was wrong. And his career did an about-face as he became vocal in speaking out against abortion. On Easter 1996, Bernard Nathanson was baptized into Christ. And since then, he speaks for salvation as well as against abortion. Part of the pro-abortion bumper sticker rhetoric surrounds a, a woman's right to choose my body, my choice. But truly, there's no choice in the matter for the youngest of women whose lives are terminated even before they were permitted to begin. We're told, well, a woman has a right to her own body. And yet the, the woman who opts for abortion is denying the rights of another body, her unborn child, who is a separate, distinct individual and is being defrauded of this inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The, the uninformed are misled with the false assurance that abortion is a safe, procedure. But the choice of, of having an abortion often leaves a trail of physical difficulties which often make future conception and gestation less likely for the mother. And obviously abortion is anything but safe for the child who is the victim. The decision to terminate the pregnancy leaves emotional scars that linger for a lifetime and can only be softened by accepting the, the grace and love of, of Jesus Christ. Many Christian couples are uninformed regarding the nature of their selected birth control method. Contraception prevents conception, but some methods of birth control are 
abortifacient methods, measures which allow conception to occur but prevent implantation of a fertilized egg. Consult your doctor to make sure your method is consistent with your convictions. Response number two is prevention and alternatives. The church must teach and emphasize the biblical standard of sexual purity and remaining sexually abstinent before marriage. There's only one method of contraception that is 100% effective, and, and that is abstinence. But there's another alternative that would seem obvious. When our older son Jason was five years old, he learned that abortion meant that some parents didn't want to have their baby, so they would take his or her life. And Jason, with childlike innocence, the wisdom of Solomon asked, why don't they just give the baby to someone else who would like to have one? That's a good insight and a solution so obvious that even a five-year-old could come up with it. Several years ago, I received a phone call from a friend who was a nurse at a nearby hospital. She said, Jeff, there's a young lady who's a patient here who just gave birth to a beautiful little boy. She lives three hours away, and, and back home, no one even knew that she was pregnant. She came here temporarily to have her baby. She's staying with her sister, who isn't in town today. She is all alone in the world and, and wants to find some Christian parents to raise her son. Do you know of anyone looking to adopt? And could you come to the hospital now and spend some time supporting her? I spent a lot of time at the hospital with her the next two days, showing her Christ's love. I was able to pair her up with a, a Christian couple. And when it came time for this young lady to authorize the adoption and, and sign the necessary papers, she asked me to sign and serve as a legal witness to the adoption. I was both humbled and honored to see how God had worked great good out of a challenging situation. All churches must become havens of love, forgiveness, acceptance, and support for unwed mothers. For, for too long, some churches have failed to do so for fear of appearing to compromise or condone sexual misconduct. And certainly churches must teach the, the scriptural mandate of sexual purity. But when a pregnancy outside of wedlock has occurred, we must be there to provide assistance, spiritual stability, financial aid in, in the midst of a difficult situation. One mistake has already been made. We must try to prevent a, another mistake from being chosen. Befriending unwed mothers may involve providing housing, daycare, assistance with medical costs, finding placement for the adoption of the child. Organizations like pregnancy care centers can, can help. And there's been progress made in this dialogue on the value of life and in this battle to save the unborn. According to Operation Rescue, more than two-thirds of the abortion clinics have closed that were operating 20 years earlier. The, the tide is slowly turning toward life. Proverbs 24, verses 10 through 12 cite, If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your faith? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does, he, does not he who guards your life know it? 
will he not repay each person according to what he has done? This passage takes direct aim at cowardice clothed as ignorance or busyness. Is God calling you to get off the sidelines and and serve him to rescue those being led away to death? As a pregnancy care center volunteer, you can be on the front lines and and talk to women and men who are contemplating making this life-altering choice. You can explore the options and, and help them choose life. The movie Juno has a strong pro-life message as a a pregnant 15-year-old girl walks past a classmate who is picketing outside of an abortion clinic. In desperation, the student calls to her, your baby has a heartbeat already. Your baby has fingernails. But after going inside and beginning to complete the paperwork, the, the pregnant mother leaves the abortion clinic compelled by the truth from her peer. She has the baby and places it for adoption. Finally, we we come to response number three, restoration and healing. In John chapter 8, Jesus encountered a woman who had sinned sexually and had been caught in the act of adultery, and she was about to be stoned for her indiscretion. And Jesus stepped in. He intervened Without condoning her sin, he redirected her. He placed her back on course to follow God's path for her life. I especially like verse 11 there in John 8. After asking her, where are your accusers now? Has no one condemned you? Then she answered, no one. Then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. 